0: So for those of you who don't know me, my name's Ryan. I've been living in Hatfield with my wife now for about probably coming up to 18 months. Um, my wife, Susie, she works as a primary school teacher in a local school. And I actually work for an IT company based in Hitchin. And I'm actually in a really weird position. Uh, whilst many of you I know are working at home, I actually have to be in the office. So on a daily basis, I have to catch the train uh, into Hitchin. And to be honest, I kind of love that because it means I get 20 quiet minutes of just me and my books. I'm a big reader, love to read. And what I find is the books that really engross me are the books that get me asking questions. Questions like, who done it? What does that mean? Does that mean what I think it means? And it's those books that ask, gets me asking questions that gets me hooked. And Mark actually does the same thing so as a church we've been looking through uh, the book of Mark now for several weeks and up till now Mark has been very much getting the uh, readers to ask one questions who is Jesus as we saw last week that kind of question got answered by Peter when he declared that Jesus is the Christ if you haven't listened to last week's message by Emma go Uh, Go away and listen to it. It's a really good one. But at that point, Mark shifts gears. He shifts directions. He's getting them to ask you, getting you to answer a different question. He's trying to get you to answer what does it mean for Jesus to be the Christ? What does it mean for Jesus to be the Savior? And this is the question that I'm going to be talking about and which Mark actually answers in today's passage and between our last sermon and now there's been a lot going on we've got Jesus kind of continuing to hint at what it means him coming into Jerusalem causing some sort of issues with the Jewish teachers which has led them to start to plot against Jesus to the point where Judas one of his 12 disciples decides to betray Jesus so we're going to pick up today in uh, Mark chapter 14 verses 12 to 25 and what i'm going to do is something a little bit different to what we're used to i'm going to read a bit of the passage and then explore it a little read a bit more and explore it and yeah let's see how we go let's dig in now mark 14 verse 12 and on the first day of unleavened bread when they sacrificed the passover lamb his disciples said to him where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the passover Prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared for the Passover. Now, a lot going on here, but actually the big thing that's going on is Passover. Passover is a big sort of Jewish festival, which let's be honest, but those of us who are from a sort of Christian background probably don't really understand what it's all about. It's like us trying to look in to uh, see a whole crowd of people going ooh and ah on and watching uh, scarecrows get burnt on a bonfire every 5th of November and not properly understand the significance of the gunpowder plot. In order to understand what's going on, we actually need to have a detailed understanding of what Passover is, because this is key for this whole passage. So let's jump back then to the book of exodus so if you want to get into your time machine of choice whether that's a or in to your uh, phone booth with your friend rufus and travel back to me to the time of exodus set in egypt probably good several hundred years uh before this passage at this point the israelites god's people were slaves they were had been enslaved by uh the egyptians and it was a actually hard time. They had to make uh, bricks, being flogged. It was torturous for them. And so God, wanting to set His people free, sent Moses to Pharaoh. If you've seen uh, the Prince of Egypt, it's that sort of moment where Pharaoh, where Moses just says, "Let my people go," and of course Pharaoh says no. And during that time, to show His power and how supreme god is in comparison to pharaoh god sends plagues down to egypt now these plagues are quite interesting when you look at it some of these plagues only affect the egyptians so if you look at the plague of death of the livestock and hail they only seem to really affect the egyptians but then you see some that affect everyone in egypt including the israelites You've got the Nile turning uh, into blood and the plague of darkness. And just to point out, these weren't just here one day, gone to another. These were proper plagues. So these would have lasted some time amongst uh, the Egyptians. This was a big thing. And of course, if you're familiar with the story, you'll probably be aware that Pharaoh keeps on saying, no, no, I won't let your people free. No, I won't let your people go. Even after all this. And so God sends one more final plague. And this was the death of the first one. And if you look at the passage in Exodus uh, verse eleven, uh, yeah, he makes it clear that this um plague is for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're egyptian or israelites if you're a pharaoh or slave this one affects everyone if you have a firstborn son you and this plague hits they're going to die it's severe but there's a catch there's a little clause if you read in exodus 12 verse 21 to 23 it says this then moses called all the elders of israel and said to them Go and select lambs for yourselves, according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to empty your house to strike you. So, this is how the Israelites are kind of saved from this judgment from God not by who they are, but by killing a lamb, smearing its blood across their door frames, and kind of trusting that that in itself will save them. And it does. So they're not only kind of protected from God's mercy, they're from God's judgment because of it. As a direct result of that, they are set free. Pharaoh releases them and they go off to the promised land. Now, this for the Jews is not just a one time event. This is something that they are told to celebrate on an annual basis. This is the start of their new year. So. For us, we might think January the 1st, we have all the fireworks and stuff. For the Jews, it's all about the celebration of Passover, remembering what God has done to save them. But it's more than that. If you look into the Passover itself, it's very much full of symbolism. And they have a set, what's known as a liturgy, a set structure on what they have to say and do as part of it. And as part of the ceremony, they have this extra cup and plate just laid out to the side. And this is an expectation for uh, another guest to come one day. They have this song, I'm not gonna sing it, thankfully, but I'm just, let me read it out. Elijah the prophet, Elijah the Tishbite, Elijah the Gilead. Let me just quickly explain. Elijah is this figure that's supposed to come uh, as a kind of big prophet, supposed to come with the messiah let me continue may he come speedily to us in our days along with the messiah the son of david so in this festival which is what the disciples are about to celebrate right now it's not just a remembrance of what god has done, but it's also looking forward in hope and expectation of what god will do and it's this that they're preparing for so just as a reminder Passover. It's a festival that the Jews celebrate to remember them being saved from God's judgment, being freed from Egypt. It's the start of their new year and it's kind of helping them to look forward for a hope for tomorrow. Remember that. That's going to be key for later. So that's what Passover is all about. That is the backdrop. Let's go on uh, with the rest of the passage from verse 17, Mark 14, verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Things are now getting tense. I mean, if I was writing Mark as a soap opera, it's probably going to be at this point that I'd uh, introduce a sort of classic sort of dum, 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 sort of Eastern End singing. But what's going on here? The disciples are kind of asking the question, who's going to betray Jesus? Jesus drops this huge bombshell, but actually he doesn't really give an answer. Jesus knows that it's Judas who's going to betray him, but he doesn't point the finger. Instead, he says something different. He says, for the Son of Man goes as as it is written. Now, this is a title that Jesus used to talk about himself frequently throughout the book of mark, um, and it is it points back to a kind of a title of uh, of this son of God who comes in from a book in the Old Testament called Daniel. but this isn't kind of like the first moment we've heard this in Mark has said it's been constantly throughout said throughout, but when Jesus um, talks here he's actually Getting the disciples to collect something into their minds. For previously, if you've looked through and read the book of Mark, in uh, He Jesus talks and alludes to what is actually going to happen to the Son of Man, to what is actually going to happen to him. He says in Mark ten verses uh, thirty three to thirty four. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him. To death and deliver him over to the gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days he will rise this is what he's been trying to prepare the disciples for and by saying this son of the for the son of man goes as it is written at this moment He's, saying, he's pretty much saying, this is the moment I've been telling you guys about. This point, when I've been telling you that I was going to be betrayed, I'm going to be killed, it's happening now. But the big question now is, what does it all mean? What does it all mean for the Son of Man, Jesus, to be condemned to death during Passover? And then we enter into this final section of passage where Jesus ties these both ideas together mark 14 verses 22 to 25 and as they were eating he took bread and after blessing it broke it and gave it to them and said take this is my body and he took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and they all drank of it and he said to them this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many truly i say to you I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. If you've been around uh, church a life, church culture for a while, you'd probably be familiar with the Lord's Supper. And sometimes when you sort of, if you're a Christian, read this passage, you think, "Okay, this is the moment where Jesus institutes this meal to remember uh, him by him, remember his death. That's fine. But actually, that is what he's doing. But there's more going on about that because this would have this whole scene would have actually been scandalous to the disciples because during this passover the sacred meal that they were supposed to remember jesus is including ideas into about himself into that meal he's picturing he's literally putting himself into the meal and saying some of these things are about me but he says take this bread this is my body." and he's saying in a sense that the death that is about to come wasn't him dying as a result of what they've done but this moment of him of this of him being broken up was something that he was giving he was giving his life and that was a clear point that he was trying to make here and then later when he says take this is my blood this moment would have struck gongs in the disciples they would have been thinking of the passover the notion of blood at the passover for them would have thought cast their minds back to egypt when they had this lamb and it was the lamb's blood that saved them jesus is saying in this moment that his upcoming death that, as the Son of Man, he's been talking about the disciples to for a while, is coming because he was going to take their place of God's judgment, and this is the answer of to Mark's big question of what does it mean for Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah. The truth is, we are all under judgment. We all deserve death in jesus's death he gives himself up to take the place in which we deserve the scandal is isn't the fact that we're sinners and deserve judgment the scandal is that jesus the sinless one took on our judgment our punishment on our behalf he gives us his life so that we may live that is what the answer to what it means for jesus to be the messiah Well, that's all well and good for um, Passover back then, back then when Jesus was alive and he was just about to die. That's what was going on there. But what about in Hatfield in in the 21st century? What does this all mean? Well, it all ties up into the meaning of Passover. The fact that Jesus gave his life for us means that we are saved from the judgment of God. As I mentioned, we deserve death and judgment. We don't deserve life. But the truth is, without Jesus taking our place, we would only get condemnation. If Jesus didn't take our place, there can be no true celebration like we were worshipping this morning. He took on our punishment and judgment to give us life. That is the gospel. That is what Jesus has done. And that is what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. But it's more. The fact that Jesus gave us his life for us means that we are no longer slaves to sin. Just like the Egyptians and the Israelites being under the Egyptian slaves, we are slaves to sin. When we come to the word sin, We have very different connotations of it. We might think of kind of like the Pet Shop Boys song, song. It's a Sin, which basically is uh, one of these members of the band just basically retelling his life in school, in a sort of Catholic school, being told that he couldn't do anything fun because it's a sin. We think of sin as it's a kind of immoral type thing but the truth is it's not it's something that we're bound to it it's more of a status it's more like being an addict it's crazy to think of but that is what it is what it's like so i had a colleague uh, in a former company who um, she found or came to the acknowledgement that actually she had an addiction to alcohol and she frequently blogs about it but for her she hasn't had a sip of alcohol In over 2000 days, but yet she still identifies herself as an addict. And that's the same with us. We are sinners. We're bound to it. We're slaves to sin. There is nothing that can set us free. But it is only because through Jesus giving his life, it marks a death. It marks our freedom from the bondage of sin and the shame that goes with it. But it's more. Thirdly, the fact that Jesus gave his life to us means that his death has created the new start that we are all after in the same way that uh, the passover and the jews is the start of their new year for us jesus's death makes a start on us having a new life and having a fresh new start and it's something we all deeply long for think about new year's new year's eve i've kind of mentioned it uh, earlier but if you think about how at the start of Every year we all think, oh, it's a new year. It's a new me. But actually, it turns out, yeah, it might be a new year, still the same old year. How many of us were excited by the fact that 2020, the year that everyone wants to forget, was our past us on the sort of January the 1st? However, a couple of days later, we entered into another lockdown, which I think could be fair to say was the hardest lockdown of them all with kids being taught at home and the frustration of actually still want to see family it was a really hard lockdown but yet we all thought oh because 2020 was behind us things were looking bright but it wasn't but the thing is in Jesus giving his life he gives us the fresh start the new start that we all deep down long for because of him giving his life for us and finally the fact that Jesus gave his life for us means that his death gives us a hope for tomorrow now I don't know if uh, there's many music lovers uh, listening in but I don't know if you've heard the latest Foo Fighters uh, song Waiting on a Wall that whole song was built on a conversation that Dave Grohl, the lead singer of uh, Food Fighters, had with his younger daughter. It was during a conversation where he had his daughter turn to him and said, Daddy, when is the war going to come? And it twigged to him. For him personally, he too had this sort of negative expectation growing up that actually life wouldn't be good, that there'd be a war, that things wouldn't is great that things are going to come to a clash the truth is though, because of jesus dying on the cross it gives us hope for the the tomorrow because jesus has already won the war and because he's won the war he brings peace and we have a hope that we will see him again in eternity it is not a hope based on fantasy but it is built on the reality of what Jesus has done for us when he died on the cross. We're going to go now into a time of communion where we will remember all this, and Paul and Pete will lead us in another song. But there's one thing I really want to highlight about this whole passage. There's one word in this passage that changes everything, and that's the word take. Jesus said, to take this to take his body to take his blood he says this because it's not something we have to earn this is something we receive we can all those blessings i've just pointed out the fact that we are saved from judgment we are no longer sin slave to sin that we have this fresh start and the fact that we have this hope is ours for the taking because of what christ has done we don't have to earn it and so if you're not wouldn't call yourself a Christian today. Can I just ask you to sort of reach out to whoever sent you this video or uh, reach to us at KCC. We would love to talk to you more about this. But actually, preparing this passage, the word take is actually more, means more for us as Christians, as those who are believers. Because I think sometimes we neglect this. We neglect the fact that Jesus has done all this for us. We, like a lot of things in our society, we quickly want the next new thing. We want the next new iPhone, the next new iWatch, or bit of technology. We're bored of the old songs. We want the new socks, and we do this with the same with our f- faith. We think, okay, Jesus died for us our sins. Great, that's fine. That's good. Oh, but I need to work my prayer life. I need to work reading the Bible. I need to evangelize. All things are good. But actually, we forget the fact that we can take these blessings. Christian, if you're you're a Christian, which of those blessings have you forgotten? Which of these blessings I mentioned do you need reminding of? And as I hand over to Paul and Fee now, just think, as we sing the next song, which of these blessings, the fact that we are saved from God's judgment, no longer slave to sin, That we have a fresh new start and hope for tomorrow. Do you need remembering, reminding of tonight?